You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. As medication costs continue rising, what strategies can help long-term care facilities reduce drug expenditures while still providing the best quality of care for patients? Joining us to discuss the impact of pharmacy issues in long-term care is Fred Wendt, Vice President of Pharmacy Services for Senior Pharma Strategies in Burleson, Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. Pleasure to be here. We're delighted to have you. Our listening audience is all ears when it comes to long-term care, cost expenditures, and pharmacy issues. So tell us, from your perspective, what's the most significant issue right now with regard to pharmacy and long-term care? I think it depends on who you're talking to. So if we backtrack a little and say the most significant right now that's hitting my radar screen is the uh, DEA position on the nurse acting as the agent of the physician when it comes to controlled substances, namely C2 through C5. That's the main one. That's the one that has the most buzz. I participate in a committee meeting with uh, ASCAP. It's a pharmacy executive committee meeting that has a number of people that are in the same position that I'm in with the different larger nursing home chains. And this is the number one issue right now out there for all of us. Let's stay with it because I'm, I get it every day, too, from the policy side with AMDA, and I see it each week from AGS's perspective. Letters are going to Congress, are going to the DEA on a regular basis. There's one suggestion that each physician or prescriber have a fax at their home to keep up with this. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think that we've weathered the initial part of the storm. I think initially physicians pushed back. I think nursing pushed back. We had a, an initial problem where we were just not getting medications to the resident in a timely manner. I think we've bridged that gap significantly now, but it still doesn't change the situation here. The nurse needs to be able to act as an agent of the physician when it comes to quality patient care, especially when we talk about pain management. So I've heard that with regard to what you just mentioned. A recent proposal from the DEA was that the medical director would assume responsibility for educating nurses and other physicians in the facility with regard to the proper handling and prescribing of controlled substances. And as you're aware, at uh, some of the facilities that I, I work for, we have a medical director advisory board. They summarily rejected that, and so did almost everybody else. Then, of course, there were proposals that the facility buy and maintain the controlled substances, and we rejected that just out of the fact that we would have issues with controlling that. The diversion would be there, plus a significant amount of dollars would be tied up And we kind of think that that's a responsibility of the pharmacy. And then, of course, there was the issue that the DEA was requiring facilities or wanted to require facilities to come forward and pay for and get a separate DEA licensure to maintain that, which would then, of course, open the facilities up for any number of issues regarding DEA to include uh, on-site visits, which we see as very problematic. So... That's really kind of where we're at now. I don't think anybody has uh, posed the best solution. 
We are working with ACA. We're working with AMDA. We are working with our local representatives to try and get the DEA to see the significant burden that they have placed onto long-term care facilities as well as long-term care docs. But um, I'm not sure what else you're hearing out there, Eric. No, about the same thing. And, And for any of our listeners who aren't tuned into this, this business about the nurse as agent and all other practices, the physician and the nurse, the nurse works as their agent to call in to manage to help out with these narcotic orders. But in the nursing home, that relationship doesn't really exist. And the DEA has interpreted some of its old rules that says, no, there has to be much more involvement on the part of the physician and the pharmacist with regards to getting narcotics into patients' hands and into their mouths. And so it's a huge issue. And it does cast that new light upon all of us. And for today's discussion, again, with Fred, the new light is on pharmacy, pharmacy's role and pharmacist's role as we move forward. So Fred, tell us a little bit more about where pharmacists are going to go, not just with this, but with the whole long-term care environment. I think the other question that is bubbling up to the surface right now is the role of the consultant pharmacist or the changing role of the consultant pharmacist. You know, Eric, you've been an integral part of it. You've been to many ASCAP meetings. You're involved with the consultant pharmacist to many degrees. But the nursing facility is seeing a distinct change in the role of the consultant pharmacist. And it's one that they may not necessarily like. The role has moved almost principally to a clinical role. And I think that while on the surface, that sounds really good. But we're missing, the, I think, the essence of the consultant pharmacist. And that's the relationship to the patient and certainly the relationship to the nursing facility. A lot of consultant pharmacists find it easier to get to a building and find an empty room and take all their charts and move off into the empty room and conduct their consultation and write their letters to the physician and then leave a report for the DON and leave. We promote senior pharma strategies. We promote a relationship between the consultant pharmacist and the facility, and we encourage the consultant pharmacist to get out and actually meet the patients that they're writing recommendations on. So we're working through ASCAP, we're working through ACA and a couple other organizations to try and get a more standardized approach for consultant pharmacists. I don't know today that there is one organization or that there is a standard. You know, we still have the old federal indicators, which tell us that a consultant pharmacist should not do more than 100 charts in eight hours which is just impossible to do with today's burden. But that would be a standard that somebody could point at. We're looking for is for somebody to come forward and begin to work on standardization of the number of charts or recommendations on the number of charts that a consultant can do. Plus also getting that consultant pharmacist back to some of the basics of consulting. A lot of times an order is written or presented by a physician as a result of a, a side effect of another product or the fact that there's polypharmacy going on. And we want that consultant pharmacist looking back at that, looking at what's going on in that resident. Did this new order, was it caused by something that's happening with the other drugs in the regimen? The other thing that I think is important consultants have moved away from is the observation of MedPass. We see that as a group, and this is the pharmacy executive group, we see this as significantly important, keeping their focus on the patient, Compliance in a nursing home is a problem, and it's a problem for many reasons, and that's certainly opportunity for another discussion at another time. But those of you out there who think that compliance is 100% perfect, that's just not the case. 
are just a number of issues that impact patient compliance from medications not being delivered in a timely manner to just carelessness on the part of the person doing the administration. And then also what we're looking for is to repair a disconnect between what the facility wants the consultant to do and what the consultant wants to do when they get in the building. We feel that right now it is important to open that dialogue so that the consultant pharmacist is working with that facility to try and move things along to a better patient care perspective. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss the impact of pharmacy issues in long-term care is Fred Went, Vice President of Pharmacy Services for Senior Pharma Strategies in Burleson, Texas. Fred, there's a lot of cost issues that are going on right now with consultant pharmacists and the pharmacy formularies, but you've done some very interesting work with diabetes care. Once upon a time, I thought my nursing home and the work that we did put us way out in front with regards to that, but I can't get my own facility to take the next steps that you've talked about and published. Let's fill in our audience as to what you've done with diabetic care and long-term care. Diabetes, to me, strikes home. My mother was a diabetic, and she passed away from complications of diabetes and the fact that she never really understood her disease. It was uh, a disease of sugar, if you will, to her. It was, um, I got it because I ate too much sugar and never fully understood it. And We made a commitment at Senior Pharma Strategies to really focus on that. First thing we did was we looked at waste in the area of diabetes. And the audience may be surprised to hear this, but in the typical long-term care facility, about 40% of the insulin that is purchased at that facility or supplied to that facility is wasted at the end of each month. It's predicated on the JACO ruling and the survey ruling that after the initial puncture of an insulin vial, that the insulin is good for 28 days and then must be discarded. So if you take a look at the average dose and you multiply it times the 28 days, what you find is that roughly about 40% of the insulin is being wasted at somewhere around $120 a bottle. You're looking at $50 per patient per month that's just being flushed down the toilet or thrown into the red bag for destruction. So what we did was we looked at the conversion to the insulin pen. The insulin pen makes just a tremendous amount of sense to us from a cost containment. But what it also does is it also provides the nurse with a tool of accuracy. Technically, when a nurse draws up insulin into a syringe, he or she is to take it over to another nurse and have them verify that, and that's the Nurse Practice Act. My wife is a nurse, so she has told me that in the past. But that day-to-day, that never gets done in the facilities. So with the insulin pen, if it's have an 18-unit dose, they just turn the pen indicated 18 units and the plunger is set and that's what they receive. The key here for cost savings for facilities out there is to remember that there is a cost break here. Whenever you're at 30 units of insulin and less, moving to an insulin pen is the most appropriate way to do that. Now, if you're more than 30 units, 35 units plus per day, you're better off sticking with the vial. Once you purchase or once you order in more than two insulin pens, your cost savings goes away. So 
We've been very successful in that right now. We have uh, converted roughly about 75 patients on vials where appropriate over to insulin pens. Now our next challenges that we have piloted in 10 facilities will be the elimination of sliding scale using longer-acting basal insulins like Levomir and Lantus. Again, for the audience, they might find this kind of interesting, but last year, one of the larger chains that we service, Fundamental, they have 74 skilled facilities, and last year we calculated they spent 95,000 nursing hours just managing sliding scale. That's roughly about 44, 45 full-time nurses, and all they do is perform the duties of sliding scale insulin. And if we look at fundamental or we look at any number of facilities out there, sliding scale is also implicated in a significant number of survey deficiencies. So that's the key approach to us, Eric. But the other part for us is that we promote diabetes education to the residents that are about to be discharged. And we also promote diabetes education as a community service. And we offer community service group meetings at facilities to educate people on their diabetes and to hopefully help them deal with it better in the future. Not always going to happen, but I think that it's important that we continue to try. We now teach that once you're dealing with sliding scales with regards to diabetes, the cat is out of the bag. You're only playing catch-up from that time forward, and the management is not as good as it should be. Your final words on that. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and I think we see it all the time. We don't have time to go into the mechanics of the sliding scale as it's managed by nursing, but there are several formulas out there that deal with this. My suggestion to the audience would be to contact Sanofi or Lilly or Novo and get their input on their long-acting formulas. Novo has a formula. It's a base of 303. It's a very interesting approach to eliminating sliding scale, and I'm sure that they would be real happy to discuss that. I'm also aware that uh, Sanofi and uh, Lilly have similar programs to this that would really help eliminate sliding scales or certainly minimize the use of sliding scales in long-term care facilities. Well, we've discussed diabetes on this program before, but I wanted to bring you on and really go at it from the perspective of the pharmacist. So if you've done exactly what we had hoped for, I could not have asked for better. And at this time, I'd like to thank my guest, Fred Went. Fred, thanks very much for being on this program this week, Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. You're welcome, Eric, and thank you. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.